Okay. So mindset critical. We got to keep that going because you're going to get, you're going to have some hard times. You're going to get some rejection. I mean, just when you're, if you choose to make telephone calls, people aren't going to answer. You're going to leave voicemails. They're not going to get back to you. And it's just a game that has to be played. And that's what we're dealing with. Um, <clears throat> you're going to write offers that aren't going to be accepted. Right. And your mindset could be one of give up or try again. And the answer is try again, always. And then we dove into the most important part of our business, which is listings. And we showed you a full armament on how to get listings, right? And we really don't want you to do all of them. We want you to pick one and focus on it for this whole quarter. I mean, get really, really good at it and you will get results. Much more than if you do a shotgun, what is it? You can't catch two rabbits at the same time. Right, pick which rabbit you're going to chase. And now today, we jumped into buyers, which are the mainstay of the business. Really, we have no business. We didn't have buyers to buy our listings, but today we're being really hard on you because it's it's difficult out there. It just is. I just just hung up with a guy who's calling me because our agent wrote an offer and the seller decided to cancel it. Sellers can't decide to cancel contracts. No. All right. Not so, a car. what's that, cat? It's not a car. No, it's not. There's no three-day rider rescission, unless it's a condo. That's a whole other story. Right. Um, okay, so the objective today is to eliminate the fear of writing a contract. Right, that's really it. <clears throat> because I'm sorry to say this, some real estate agents really shouldn't even have a license, but they can write a contract. It's basically fill in the blank. So what we're going to do today, Kat and I, is we're going to go through the list of the most important things you need. And the way I want you to look at it is like this. Um, I've got a saying that either you have an assistant or you are an assistant. Okay. And that's just the way it is in real estate. If you have an assistant or you are an assistant, somebody has to do this work. So we created a, a program a couple of years ago called Personalized Assistance, just as an add-on for our agents an extra benefit for those who wanted to pay to have somebody else, you know, set up their dot loops for them and just make, make sure everything's done and then follow up after closing and do the critical dates on the calendar and all that type of stuff. So I thought it was a pretty smart move. We created something called a listing intake form. And the idea is that you would go to dot loop, grab the listing intake form, type into it, hand write into it, scan it, fax it, deliver it to your personal assistant, and then they would prep your loop, write your listing agreement and have everything done. So the idea was that the assistant actually writes the contract. So you're gonna be your own assistant today. So we're gonna jump into first the listing intake form. So I was planning on going to dot loop live. Here you go, but go back, go to the home screen. Let's show them how to get there. Go to sure. templates. Your microphone is very quiet again. Is that right? How about now? That's a little better. That sounds like you're yelling a little bit, but it's okay. All right. So whatever your dot loop looks like, you can choose the background, the templates, the rows, all that. The most important thing is you're going to go to templates, upper right. And then I typically click on, wow, yours is totally different. All documents. There you go. And then there's a search button and just type in intake or listing intake. Intake is simpler. There you go. Listing intake form. And that's it. You found it. 
Do you know what the well, yeah, I guess you're good if you want to write in it. <clears throat> you can do it one of two ways. You can copy it to a loop. You can copy it to something you already have open, or you can just start anew. Okay. Or you can just open it up. Yeah. So watch how simple this is. Um, why does it say Shannon? Oh, photography? For photography, sign it's installation. Safe. The back office will take care of the sign installation portion. You'll let you'll let the back office know, meaning the support staff that we have, shout outs to them because they kill themselves every day working so hard for us. Uh, Shannon, that'll be noted if he's going to be your photographer of choice. Seller's name, you fill that in. So Let's once again, you're instructing your assistant on how to prepare your loop and your listing agreement. Right. So do you want Shannon to do you want them to order photos for you? Do you want them to order the sign up? Yes or no? Your choice. Yeah. Depending on the property, it could be condo, single family, that sort of thing. Sure. Listing agent, that would be you. Co-listing agent, your co-broke or your co-listing agent. If you're working in teams, teams are wonderful. Now, remember, um, dot loop, you need to fill in everything on the What's it called? The uh, people section. The people section. Sure. So that's why we're getting all this info. That's why you're giving your assistant all that information now so they can correctly set up the loop for you. Because all this stuff is necessary. It and is critical. Is necessary. No, it is. It is necessary. And I will tell you, the PAs will save you for so much time, headaches. They keep everything running while you're going to your next listing, to your next listing, your next buyer, your next buyer. By having your PAs work with you, not only are you saving your time, but you're producing your business is going to reproduce itself twofold. So you're going to be making more money and not being tied down in minutia. When I first started with the company, we didn't have the PAs. And then when they came around, my manager said, you really need to do the PAs. And of course I said, I don't want a PA. I'm a lawyer. I don't need that. Well, guess what? I got busy. I do need that. We don't all know as much as we think we do. So don't all lawyers basically have paralegals. Pretty much. We all started out that way. We actually we started out as secretaries, runners, clean up the bathrooms, whatever they told us to do, we did it. Right. And we learned along the way. Kinda so like there's no rocket science here, guys. Can you can you figure right. out the property address? Yeah, ABC Liquors Incorporated, whatever. Yeah, you put all that in there. Okay. You lost me. Let's start at the top. I just wanted them to say there's nothing scary here. No. Fill in the blank. Property address, city, state, zip. If you have any questions on any of this, let me know. When's the listing start date going to be? When's the listing end date going to be? Yeah. These two are important. Yeah, I need you to have conversations with your sellers about what the purchase and sale contract is going to say when we sign one. Because it's going to identify which items are included. And then the seller has to specify which items they do not want included or rather excluded. So this is a reminder for you, have that conversation and then tell your assistant or tell yourself. Um, and it's also important uh, for scheduling your photographer. You want to make sure that you don't have your listing starting on a Saturday or Sunday because your photographer more than likely may not be available and you can't get the photos in on the weekends. The back office needs the time to be able to put those photos in. So make sure you have a little uh, chat with your photographer first before you come up with the date that the listing's going to go live. That's so important. I can't emphasize that enough, Craig. I'm sure you can too. Yep. All right. Listing price, you should have that known. If you know the title company, 
put it in there. If you don't, don't. And remember, you you the address, pull- put all that stuff in the people section because it's going to autofill the documents for you. Right. So we're doing this to make it easier for you, not harder. It all has to be done at some point in time. So just get it done. Exactly. It's Is the seller, seller offering closing costs? Not in this market. No. What's the listing broker commission? What's the selling broker commission? Three and three. Three and three. Is the property presently leased? The listing room is going to ask that, so your assistant needs to know. And when is the lease end date? You should know that. Know that. What type of financing types are acceptable? Let's talk about that for a second, because what the listing agreement does, we haven't had this conversation yet. We have basically three contracts we're dealing with. The listing agreement is a contract between the seller and the brokerage brokerage company. Notice I said the brokerage company, not the agent. That's right. right? The seller is listing with Century 21 Beggins. Right. Right. Um, So that's a contract. Then we have a contract from the seller and the buyer. Bob and Mary and John and Sue, or whatever denomination you want. And then we have an MLS agreement, which is the contract between us and the cooperating brokers. Right. right? So the contract between us and the seller, basically all it says is, if I bring you a buyer that meets the terms of this agreement, I've earned my commission. That's right. Your commission is earned at the time of sale. We agree not to get paid until closing, but our commission is earned at time of sale if we meet the terms of the listing agreement. Right. So here under acceptable financing type, we want to check conventional, FHA, VA, cash, and then other, if there is another type. Because let's say you have a $300,000 listing and you didn't check FHA and a buyer brings us a listing for 300 grand, a contract for 300 grand, but it's FHA. Then technically they didn't meet the terms of our listing agreement. So we didn't earn our commission. Now that doesn't prevent the seller from signing the contract, in which case we would earn our commission, but they're not responsible to pay our commission because they didn't meet the terms of the agreement. So my advice there is always check all boxes. Agreed. Okay. Unless you know for certain and you've discussed it with your seller that because there's USDA loans that are available too, but there's far and few between. So if somebody brings a USDA contract, we want to make absolutely sure that property is eligible for it. And if we know for certain that address going on the USDA map that it's not eligible, we're not going to be taking those type of loans. VAs and condos, you have to get with your lender to make sure if it's a condo, more likely than not, the VA is not going to write it unless it's on a VA condo list. Same thing with townhouses. Most townhouses are good, but again, some will not meet the VA requirements. All that stuff, you have conversations with your seller and Mm -hmm. the lenders. Let me ask you a question. When you go to sell your car to trade it in, what do you do with it? Well, you get it all prettied up, ready to go before you take it over there. Right. You want the dealer to think you've been taking care of it, right? That's right. Jeff and I talked about that this morning. To benefit our seller in this tight market, the better job we do presenting the property to all buyers, as far as eliminating doubt and fear, the higher prices and more offers we'll get. So the next one is home warranty offered to a buyer. Yes or no. Most agents just typically say no. That's dumb. A seller is going to get six months worth of listing coverage for free during the thing. So if their garbage disposal breaks or something that's covered, all they do is pay the deductible. And then they have to agree to buy the cheap policy for the buyer at closing. And then the buyer can upgrade to the more expensive policy, which they should do. Right? 
I think, I mean, always offer a home warranty to the buyer. Always. Even on Even my in a tight market. Yes. Especially on your uh, condos, especially on your townhouses, especially on your investment properties. I do it on all of mine. And my partner in crime, otherwise known as my spouse, always screams about, I don't want to pay for that. I said, yes, you do. You'll thank me when we close and there's no problems. And the inspections go through with no problems. Of course, I do pre-loved home inspections. Absolutely, because you don't want to find out on the back end that there's a bunch of problems with the house that you didn't anticipate. And having that warranty out there, that gives everybody peace of mind. You, I can't tell you how many times I've been able to avoid a lot of nitpicky buyers in this market on my personal investment properties because we had this warranty in place, ready to go. Yeah. If you're a buyer and you're being forced to pay over asking price with no financing contingency and no inspection, would you feel a little more comfortable doing that if there was a warranty offered? Absolutely. Addenda Absolutely. to be included. Tell your assistant, are you going to use a condo rider? Or are you going to use a... Um, but family association. Yeah. Right. Right. <clears throat> Appraisal contingency. All mm -hmm. the whatever addendums you want, you want to tell them that there. And then any additional terms. Do you want to put an escalation clause? What do you want them to do? Not in the listening room. Sorry. Got lost there for a second. No, additional um, items. That's let's talk really about, important. Let's talk about the addition uh, addenda to be included. On the listing side, we want to have the seller pre-sign all of the addenda that's gonna be required for two reasons. One, it's professional. We're gonna to have to sign it at some point anyway. Two, if you get it done and turned into the back office, they'll load it to the attachment section of the MLS. So when the other agents wanna make an offer on your listing, they don't have to bother you. They just go straight yes. to the MLS and look at the attachments and the seller's already signed all the required addenda that are gonna be necessary. It's a huge time saver for everybody involved. Uh, and it and it just looks nice and neat and professional. And plus, when you're putting the books in the property with all the appliance information, you're you're going to have the addendums there also for them to flip through. It's a time saver. Uh, the buyers and the buyers agents will be uh, having peace of mind because you've you've taken that extra step. That's one less thing for them to have to worry about. Yeah, and it's already signed. Perfect. Yeah. <clears throat> Any additional items for the listing agreement we want to talk about? Like the seller might say, um, "I want Kathleen to attend all showings." We don't want that to happen, but sometimes we have to agree to things like that, right? Shoot okay. me in the head. So that's where additional terms would be. Um, transaction fee, it's built into the contract, so you don't have to worry about on listing agreement. So we really don't need that there. No. Um, or, or there's a particular fixture that's up in the wall and the seller doesn't want to take it down until they close. Over the years, I've heard of issues coming up, not, not with us. But with particular fixtures, uh, I knew of one situation where supposedly there was a Tiffany lamp in the um, foyer way and they didn't exclude it out of the uh, MLS and they didn't exclude it out of the contract. Closing time, the, the Tiffany lamps missing from the foyer, it was a huge fiasco. They had to replace it. So those are just little, and curtain rods, curtains, that's built into our contracts now. It used to be, it wasn't. But now it is. So what if they've got Aunt Sally's curtains up on the uh, in the uh, living room or in the dining room that were made for Sally's uh, wedding day? They're going to want to make sure those things are excluded. Which it is why I said at the top, when you get to included and excluded items, you have to have these conversations. Yes. Hey, I noticed that light fixture in the floor is really nice. Are you planning on taking that or leaving it? Exactly. Because the contract says you're leaving it. Oh, I love your drapes. The contract says you're leaving them. Right. So we need to exclude them. <clears throat> or we need to take them down. 
Yes. Okay. I prefer taking them down, but exclude them. Exclude and them. let your PAs know because they're not mind readers. They're not going to go through the MLS to start hunting through listings for you to see what's excluded or what's not. Don't put that on them. That's our oh. responsibility. Watch this too. But the listing agreement says they're excluded. Okay. The listing agreement is between who? You. The listing and, broker and the seller. Right. right. <clears throat> so where does it say the buyer doesn't get the fixture? It's got to be in the MLS and the additional terms or, or the comments, the, the items that do not convey. It's got to get in there. You got to put it in there. Now watch this. <clears throat> Our listing agreement is a single agent listing agreement. <clears throat> so we are offering single agency. So now we're representing the interest of the client and they instructed us to not to exclude the Tiffany light. And then we let a contract get through with that exclusion not in it. Now whose fault is it? Who's buying the light? The buyer. No, <laughs> buyer's agent, <laughs> the listing agent. I'm being funny, I know, I know, I know. The listing agent is, has failed at their fiduciary duty to monitor the instructions in the contract. Yeah, no, I was being facetious. We only wish mm -hmm. we could pass that off. It's our responsibility yeah. to do it. Mm -hmm. And then so, how do you get this lead is just required for the deal sheet because the PA will fill out the deal sheet for you as well. And it's right. good to document, track your business. You know, I'm, I'm a big supporter of having an Excel spreadsheet uh, as you have clients to fill in these details. Now we have that system in Dash that'll tell you that, but you can also do it on your own in Excel spreadsheet. Keep tracking your business. It helps you to know where you're getting your business from. 100%. All right. So that's it. That's all you need to know to fill out a listing agreement. Now I'm not saying you don't need to read the listing agreement. You do. But is there anything scary in that? That would say, oh shit, I don't know what to do. I no. got to fill out a listing agreement. Everything you need is right there. Now it's no. going to require a conversation with you and the seller. Yeah, good planning. Right. It's just part of your organization when you're doing the listing and you're sitting there with the seller or even if you're FaceTiming the seller, if they're in another country or emailing back and forth, these are all things that you can easily go over with them. Do you all feel you could fill out that form and give it to an assistant and fill it and they could do it for you? Do you yeah. feel you could fill it out and, and based on that information, write it up yourself? Yeah. Then it is a high five, we've done our job. That's really my purpose here. Yeah. And we covered a lot of little listing things. Let's jump into the contract intake form because it'll take a little more time. And I also want to get to the critical date timeline. Sure, you got it. All right, so this is the same concept, right guys? You're gonna give this to your assistant. If you don't have an assistant, you are the assistant. So you're doing this for yourself. Who are we representing? Seller or buyer? Is it an as-is contract or a regular contract? You have to make that decision. Right. Let's talk about that. Kathleen and I share an opinion here. Um, we have two versions of the Florida bar contract that we like to use. One is the regular and one is the far bar as is, right? They're virtually the same. <laughs> hint, 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 hint. The regular contract has more work to do. So? But it has a seller responsible for making repairs if the buyer finds that they're not right. But it also doesn't let the buyer walk away. It gives the seller the option to fix things to keep the buyer in place. Exactly. And you can put caps on those repairs. It's not scary. I can't tell you how many other agents outside of our brokerage don't know how to use these. Mm -hmm. And of course, when I get one of those type of agents, I smell blood. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we work through it. We work through it. And uh, we stick with the plan with a regular contract. I mean, no. hands down. 
what I'm going to say here is, is not being deceitful, but in practice, it's happening in the market right now. Home buyers are putting multiple offers on multiple properties and they could win multiple offers on multiple properties mm -hmm. and they can tie them up for as long as the inspection period is. Yeah. Right. So in that contract we were talking about with 52 offers on it, I don't know how many, but I suspect many of them had multiple offers on different properties because it's, sure. it's a land grab right now. People are trying to buy anything they can. And, and it's risky. It's very risky to have a multiple offers all over the place on different properties. Because what if the sellers accept all those offers at the same time? Look what you've just done to your buyer. Well, wait a minute. That's the opposite. If the seller accepts all, the seller's in trouble if those buyers perform. No, no. What I'm saying is, let's say we have one buyer who's putting in offers in on 10 homes, 10 different homes. Right. And then they all of those homes got accepted for that one buyer. That buyer is really not intending on buying 10 homes. No, he but he wrote an as-is offer. He wrote an as-is offer and he can cancel for any reason. Right. If, if in fact, he did the as-is offer, that, that's where the rub comes in. If they're using the regular contract and they don't understand what they're using or what they're doing, that's when it can become a real treacherous right. problem. So for the purpose of what we're doing today, I just want to show you how to fill out a contract. And the as-is is easier the regular is more complicated. So we're going to say it's a regular contract. Right. Okay. Seller's name, email, phone number, because we're filling out the people section of the dot loop. Easy enough. Mm -hmm. You guys are beyond kindergarten now. So we know the property address, city, state, zip code, MLS number, included and excluded items. There they are. Reminder, check the MLS under Realtor Remarks. See what else is in there. Purchase price, is that $100 million? Nice. Yeah, we like those prices. Um, you're telling your assistant. My door. One second. Are you not using your green screen? <laughs> Deposits. Big deal. We'll get into more of this when Chris and I go next. But you want to have an initial deposit to show your good faith. It's a good faith deposit to the seller. And it's really a marketing piece. Two offers identical. One has a $10,000 deposit. One has a $1,000 deposit. Which buyer seems more serious? Have that conversation, right? If it's an as-is contract, the initial deposit is useless because the buyer can cancel for any reason and get their money back, right? Agreed. So what do you do? You put an additional deposit one day after the inspection period. Once they can't cancel anymore, get some more money out of their pocket and put an extra day on top of the inspection period. Exactly. You know, find out who the escrow cat. What's the difference between an escrow agent and then the closing agent? Well, the closing agent is the one that actually is going to be doing the closing themselves. The escrow agent is the one that's going to be holding the escrow. Anybody can hold escrow. If you decide you want to go to a different title company to close, you can transfer it over. Right. So Paramount Title is owned by us. They do a fantastic job. They will hold the escrow. They don't want to hold it. They're not doing the closing because it's a pain in the butt. So yeah. if you know the closing agent is going to be majesty title, then let majesty hold the escrow so we don't have to transfer it back to them. Right. But some of the stuff you should know ahead of time, but if you don't use paramount title. And, and you they have a nice one where you can make your uh, escrow deposit uh, with your portal. Uh, the, the customers can go online. It's a link that they're given. They can go in and they can do all of that without having to worry about bringing checks or uh, other issues. Now, of course, if it's over a certain amount, uh, if it's over $10,000, then there's a separate set of instructions uh, that the title company will provide. Right. 
Not us. We never send wire instructions. Yeah, that's really important. You'll see it in every email from the title company too. It's just, you just don't do that. You call and you get the number or they call and get the number. Or the way we do it, we transfer it through the app. It's really kind of cool. All right. So additional as an escrow company's name, title company's name. A lot of times the MLS remarks will say that. You know, please for closing, use this. And when you're the buyer's agent and the listing agent and seller tell you they want to use XYZ title, you probably ought to use XYZ title if you want yeah. your offer to be accepted. Yeah. I don't like saying that, but it's true. No. And, and Manatee and uh, Sarasota, the buyer picks title, Hillsborough mm -hmm. County, the seller picks title. So courtesy are different. Orlando. Typically yes. it's seller, seller pays title, but different markets have different customs. Yes. Date and time for acceptance. Very important. Tricky. Sometimes guys, it's better to make a telephone call. I know it's antiquated and no, call not. the listing agent and say, Hey, is the seller in town? Right? Are they on vacation? What's a good time for acceptance? As a buyer's agent, when do we want our time for acceptance? Right now. Now. Right. I don't want you to have time to shop my offer or see any other contracts. I want it now. Right. Right. So a lot of agents are writing very fast time for acceptance. And that backfires on them because what does a contract say, Kat, if um you pass the time through. for acceptance? It it has a very terrible death. It dies automatically. Yes. It ceases to exist. So if you give me till today at five and I don't answer you your offer vaporizes. That's right. So you really need a strategy to get it in there to give the seller time to look at it with the other offers that they're looking at. And yeah, this I have not said in another contract class. This is new for today. Because last contract class, we didn't have this market. And no. I was telling you to get a very short time for acceptance so the seller's agent doesn't have a chance to shop other offers. But now they're going to have other offers anyway. So you need yes, to they are. schmooze Make them a little bit. Use the phone. It's not antiquated at all. As a matter of fact, you're going to be bridging relationships. You know, Alexander Graham Bell invented this wonderful thing called the telephone. And when we were kids, we had to punch the dials. Now it's so easy. You got the iPhone, boom. But getting to the point, phone calls bridge the relationships. This is still a relationship people business. Texting is great to follow up. I hate texting. I'm sorry. I'm an anti-texter. But if that's the way somebody wants to communicate, I'll accept it but I'm not going to be documenting anything concerning the contract details and those text messages. It's all going to be an email form and phone calls. And then you follow up with email confirming stuff. I can't emphasize enough how important it is to bridge those gaps, make the time to make a phone call. Right. Mike, we were just talking about this. We recommend the date and time for acceptance is a discussion you have with the listing agent to see what's appropriate for the seller. Because we kind of got to kiss their butt in this market. Because if you go That's in with a day and they're going to wait till Sunday to make their acceptance of offers, your offer is going to be off the table because it's going to be dead. Right. Right. I mean, can't make right that more clear. If the time for acceptance passes, your offer is no longer valid. The seller could sign it and date an initial, a new date. But why would they do that when they got 20 other offers? So it's not going to right. happen. Yeah. So that's why I'd have a relationship conversation with the listing agent. Absolutely. Closing date, same thing. Hey, listing agent, what's best for your seller? Oh, well, my seller's going to have to move, you know, their new home is going to be done in four, four weeks, but then we'll put closing, you know, flexible for them after four weeks mm -hmm. and maybe even offer to go longer if their house gets delayed, which could happen too. Or if your buyer really needs a time frame, it might disqualify them from the seller. 
There's no right answer here. This is all negotiation. And the issues of leasebacks come up all the time. And I'm here to tell you, let, let the attorneys draft that up if need be. I'm not a big fan of it because of the insurance issues that'll come up uh, because you're allowing, let's say a seller wants to stay in the house two more weeks after it's closed and Mr. Buyer is now the owner. God forbid there's a fire. God forbid there's a problem. If we don't have the right kind of insurance in place and most, and most loans, that's another issue in and of itself. Uh, buyers have certain types of loans. They're not going to allow somebody to turn around technically have a tenant for two or three weeks. Right. Again, that's up for discussion, but I'm not a big fan of it. Well, how, well, how do you feel about that, Craig? Well, it's really simple. If you look at the addendum that comes with the contract, it says buyer and seller agree that seller should occupy post-closing as is identified by a separate agreement, separate lease agreement. So it's going to require them to have a lease agreement. If buyer and wants to close, move in early, it says that's okay but go get a lease agreement with an attorney. With the proper insurance. Yeah, so Jim Holloway is our attorney for the title company and he writes a really nasty one. And if they're gonna do it, I want a really nasty one. I want some hard money up and I want some penalties if you don't move out. Cause once you're there, you've got rights and I can't get you out. He writes them the same way I would. That spells it out. That's right, he writes them the same way I would. And he and I both agree, we hate them. We just yep. don't like them. Sometimes but it's convenient and it's a nice thing to do but you got to have teeth in it. Uh, yeah, lots of money. Because uh, Jim shared a personal story with me that he did something like that once and it was a family property. Couldn't get the seller out. <laughs> seller didn't want to move. And they went. he went through a huge, nasty eviction process. So, you know, he has those same feelings like I do about it. Like, yes, if someone wants to move in. No, they don't need a lease. But if something bad happens, we're going to get in trouble for not advising them to get a lease, right? Yeah, they're going to nail The addendum that comes with the Farbar contract says early occupancy is okay if the parties sign a lease. And it's going to cost money. And they're going to put some serious deposits up because yeah. there are scammers. Go watch the movie. What was it called? Something Heights. Pacific Heights. Yeah. Remember that movie? I do. Michael Douglas, I think, was in it. He was a professional scammer and he would rent high-end houses and then stop paying rent and stay living there yes. for years. Yes. And then he'd end up suing the sellers and it was terrible. Yeah, go watch oh. that one. Then you won't do early occupancies. It's coming out of California. I remember that movie. That was mm -hmm. not Fantasyland. There actually was such a person who did that. They just wow. colored it up a bit in the for the purpose of the movie. But yeah, that really did happen. Oh, it happens all the time. Okay, it's time it's closing date, negotiated item. Is the property presently leased or when is the lease up? So just if you're new, if the property is leased and you buy it, what happens to the tenant? You have a child. You have a child. You've now leased your house to them because the lease goes with the property. So you want to know when it ends. And then there's other things you want to do with that too. Like, you know, get the security deposit transferred over to your account. Right. Stuff like that. Yep. Future rents, all that sort of thing. We see that a lot with vacation properties. So you want to know what those uh, future rents are and the books on all of that. We see that a lot of that in the commercial investment side. All right. Financing type. Tell us what type of financing you're going to be going for. You should know this by now, right? Because you've been intimate, as Jeff and I have been talking about, with the mortgage broker. Yeah. You're intimate with the mortgage broker. He's on the team. So you better darn well know conventional FHA, VA, fixed, adjustable cash, whatever you're doing. And plus you're telling your assistant how to switch box to fill in. That's right. Is there home warranty? Yes or no? Who wants it? What company is it going to yes. be? What's the plan and what's the cost? Yeah. 
Remember in your dot loop packages that the back office creates for you, all the global home USA information is in the required documents. It's right there. And there's so much extra coverage in those home warranty. If you take a minute to look through it, uh, uh, pool uh, coverage, uh, septic well pumps, pool heaters, salt chlorinators, coverage. all kinds of stuff you can add. You know, salt chlorinator is 700 bucks. Easy. Yeah. So you can spend yeah. $50 and buy the extra coverage. And if it's all quite, and they go bad every three years. Oh, and those pool pumps. Yes. And the cartridges and all that. Yeah. I don't miss having all that maintenance on a house. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now we're back to the regular contract, not the as is, right. but it says repair limits, general WDO and permits. So let's talk about that. Cause that's really the only difference primarily between the two contracts. The as is contract says, get your inspection. And if you don't like it for any reason, get your money back and walk away and stick it to the seller. How about I pull that contract up for that section? You want me to? Sure. Okay. The other contract has repair limits. It says, okay, buyer, you can have an inspection. And if you find something that's, that's a warranted item, that's not in working condition, the seller will fix it for you, not to exceed X amount of dollars. If you get a termite inspection and you find those termites, the seller will fix it for you up to X amount of dollars. And if you find uh, permits are out of place, the seller will fix it for you up to X amount of dollars. So that's pretty nice for a seller to do those things. Now, as I like to do it, you get the inspection before you put it on the market, you take care of all the crap so the buyer doesn't get pissed off, but that's what this contract says. You inspect it, if there's something wrong, seller will fix it up to a certain amount of dollars. So let's use this story. Buyer is from New York. They don't have termites in New York. And Mrs. Buyer is really afraid of termites. We all know that there's only two types of houses in Florida, those that have termites and those that will have termites. <laughs> so Mrs. Jones buys a house in Florida and she gets a WO inspection, WDO, wood destroying organism inspection because her lender is going to require it. And it comes back with termites. The house needs termites and it's going to cost $2,500 to tent it. It's a great example. So we look up our limits and it says blank, one and a half percent. Okay, well, the house is 300 grand. One and a half percent is 4,500 bucks. Does the seller have to tent the house? Yes or no? The answer is yes. It's less than the $4,500 limit. Well, what if we put a limit to $1,000? The seller has to pay up to $1,000. But it's $2,500 to do the difference. So then what happens? Either party can cancel or this is really important. Either party can pay the difference. This is what keeps deals together. So Mrs. Jones says, oh, thank God, it's more than $1,000. I don't want this house anymore. The seller goes, sorry, I'll pay the extra 1500. You're staying in the contract, All right? Right. Deals back together. Now let's do it the other way. Seller's got a backup contract in place for 315. Buyer does the inspection, find out it's $25 repair. There's a $1,000 limit. Buyer says, I need you to pay that. Seller says, no, I'm not paying it. So buyer has the option to walk or pay the difference. Correct. Now the buyer finds out there's a backup at 315. He'll likely pay the extra $1,500 to keep his position in that contract. So the other buyer doesn't take it away from him. That's very true. That's why we say the regular contract keeps deals together because it gives the sellers and buyers options. And, that's and, we get, <coughs> and we get the pre-loved home inspection ahead of time. 
so that those wonderful things called termites, not so wonderful, splitting themselves around in the attic will get discovered before you put the house on the market. You get it, you get the treatments that, that is needed, you get whatever material repairs that come up because some of the older homes we're going to see potential issues with wiring, potential yeah. issues with the panel box, potential issues with uh, homes that were built prior to 1975 with clay pipes. Have they been relined? Do we have a, a well? Do we have septic? Do we have records on those things? So all those things can get looked at, inspected properly prior to putting the house on the market. You'll save your seller thousands of dollars by doing this ahead of time because he'll have or she'll have control over getting those repairs done by the people she or he trusts. That's right. Okay, so you see the difference there? That's really important. That's the main difference between the as-is and the regular contract. So either party can cancel or either party can pay the difference and it keeps deals together. So let's go back to our intake form. And of course we have the maintenance requirements. If there's torn screens, fogged windows with the regular contract, Mr. or Mrs. Seller are gonna make sure that those things are addressed. Yeah, properly. guys, that's not what I'm doing here today. I'm not teaching you the contract. No, no. Our purpose today is to show you that writing a contract is not scary. That's all you need to know to fill in the blank. Correct, correct. Now, I'm not, you're not off the hook. You need to get that contract and you need to read it. Yes. And read it again and read it again and read it again and be able to explain every paragraph, right? And it's not complicated. You all went to real estate school. I'm just showing you, don't be afraid of the purchase and sale contract. It's really easy to write. That's the critical right? timelines really just give you the, the points of most concern to learn. It makes it so much easier. We're not gonna memorize pages and pages of contracts. That's not how they teach it in law school. They teach you the concepts, just exactly what we're gonna be looking at with your critical timelines, that's exactly what they teach you in law school. Mm -hmm. Well, let's go to critical timeline. Mike, do we recommend, no, we don't recommend inspectors. You guys do that on your own and it's really risky. I mean, as a, I'm not a lawyer, a cat as a lawyer would say, give your buyer the phone book and let them pick their own. I, I don't always think that's tell them, custom. yeah, I always, I always preface it by saying, these are inspectors my past clients have used feel free to reach out to any inspector and these are additional resources for you. I, I cannot and will not recognize, rec uh, recommend a particular inspector, but I can give you a, a host of ones that my clients have used and my clients have given you permission to call them to see if you like them or not, but that's, I am not making that recommendation. Yeah. I go a little differently. I, I think it's customer service. They ask me who's good. I always do a caveat. Hey, look, every inspector is only as good as the last inspector. A lot of my clients use this one. He's always been good to me. I can't promise he's going to be good to you. Right. So you're welcome to use anybody Simple. you want, but this is the guy I use. I always temper it, but they don't want to go through the phone book. They want a recommendation. Sure. And many of you have, have friends that are home inspectors now and you've built relationships and you want to use them and they'll drop it and, and make it happen for you. Right now, I heard home inspect. I heard the other day that some of our contracts are going out for longer than 10 day inspection periods because we can't find an inspector to get the job done. I mean, we are yeah. so damn busy every facet, surveyors, home inspectors, the appraiser, I have an appraiser come out to a property today. He said, I had a cancellation. I can get you in. He wasn't getting me until, until Friday, but now he can get me in today. It's true. And with COVID, some of the appraisers are not even going out to condos. They're just looking at the photos online. They're asking for feature sheets and updates. That's why it's so important to have that put together on your listing feature sheets of all the updates and so forth. So they'll have that in the MLS because they've got access to the MLS and they see the same thing we're putting out there. Yeah. All right. Let me jump into this. We have 20 minutes. Oh, so many years ago, I brokered a land deal, 700 acres is a big deal. And there are 10 different parcels. It's called an assemblage. And I put the whole thing together. 
And at the end, when all the contracts were signed, one attorney sent me a letter and said, Dear Mr. Beggins, pursuant to the contract, please confirm your agreement with the following. The effective date of the contract is, boom. The first initial inspection period is, expires on, boom. The next inspection period expires on, boom. And he outlined all the terms and had me agree to it. So what did that do? It held me accountable. Yes, right? it did. Highly. And it helped the deal close. Yes. Everybody knew what the responsibilities were. And I yes. thought that was a great idea. So every time the contract comes out and they modify it, I read it intensely. And then I make these up for you. And I recommend this on every deal you do. And our good agents really do do this. Do do this. And then they share it with the listing agent, the buyer, and the seller. Because here's what a contract does. A contract gives the buyer the right to buy and the seller the obligation to sell. How many people actually read the contract? None. Most of you won't even go back and read the contract, which is ridiculous. You need to go read the contract numerous yes. times. Yes. And then you need to write a contract on your house and practice, practice, practice. And if you get stuck, the, all the management team here will help you. Right? Absolutely. So I've done a lot of eight o'clock at night, Saturday night reviews of contracts and my peeps know if they can count on that. Uh, sometimes it's at a dinner table, sometimes it's outside, but I want to make sure they understand what they're reading. Right. So you got it right. Kindergarten seller, buyer, address, listing agent, listing office, selling agent, selling office, title company, contact, mortgage company, contact critical dates. Oh my God. How many critical dates are there? These are the ones seven. <laughs> That's it. Seven. There's seven critical dates. Yeah. The first one is the effective date. Now, Kat, what, what line is the effective date on? Uh, let's see. It's going to be, well, it's going to be the date of the last person signing and dating it. Uh, usually you'll see the effective date on the page. I want to say. 12. There's no line. It's not on the contract. Well, there's two sections. It, okay. There's no line for effective date. The effective date is the date upon which the last party signed. Right. So I, I can't reference the line number. Everything else I reference the line number for you. There is no line number for effective date. You just have to look the signature. The signature will be timestamped and dated in dot loop. Right. It'll say it's, uh, what is this, April? Yeah. I watch it. You'll find it a signature in the back. Yep. Um, look at all the signatures. See the last one that was signed. That will be your effective date. Exactly. And it can be confusing. And it's really important because what, what starts on the effective date? The clock. The clock. So if we don't agree when the effective date is, the clock could be wrong. You yes. could have your inspection date in seven days from today, or if the effective date is tomorrow, it's seven days from tomorrow. And if it lands on a Saturday, what happens? That's right. It gets, it gets moved to the next business day. Right, right. So right. you really know, need to know when the effective date is. So be diligent, look at all the signatures and initials and all the changes, and whatever the last date is, that's your effective date, write it in there. And then we're gonna share it with everybody. If nobody can test it, if we went in front of a judge, who's going to look smarter? We are. We are. And Next effective date is, or critical date, <clears throat> is line 27, the deposit due. Why is that important? Within the days that's in that contract. If it says within three days of, of a date, of effective date, it's within. And we know from our own experience that if you are late on this, uh, listing agents are very going to be very quick to let their sellers know and they're going to yank your deal and you're going to be crushed you're, and your buyers are going to be crushed. The contract says failure to make a deposit when due is considered breach of the contract. 
Right. The penalty for breach of contract is forfeiture of deposits paid and right. agreed to be paid. That's so right. you got a $5,000 initial deposit and a $10,000 additional deposit, and you miss the 5,000 in time, your buyer owes 15 grand to the seller because right. they breached the contract. That's how important that is. It's critical. It really is. The next critical date is the inspection period ends. When is that? Whatever your contract says, look at line 261, it'll tell you. When's the additional deposit due? That's on line 36, so fill right. in that blank. When's the expected closing date? That's line 52. Mm -hmm. When's your loan application due? That's line 93. And mm -hmm. when is your loan approval due? That's line 89. Let's talk about loan approval, because that's really important. Contrary to public belief, your loan approval date does not mean the bank said they'll give your buyer a loan. Right. The loan approval date says the buyer tells the seller that they can get a loan and they're taking away their financing contingency. So default in the contract is 30 days. So if you don't put a number in there, it's gonna be 30 days. So right. day 30 comes, if the buyer doesn't cancel, then they're waiving their financing contingency. So that's a really, really, really important date. If the buyer doesn't feel comfortable, they're gonna get their loan, cancel now, because if you don't, you're removing your financing and you're gonna lose your deposit if you don't close. Exactly right. Critical, critical date. So those are the seven dates that you have to know about. And do you agree that you could explain those to a buyer and a seller? Pretty simple. Yeah, absolutely. Why don't you cover the seller obligations? Seller obligations. Okay. Delivering title commitment to buyer 15 days prior to closing. Title company is going to send an email with a PDF attached with the title commitment and any exceptions or any things that need to be met. There's always going to be certain types of exceptions in the uh, title commitment that's normal that runs with the land, your, your, your deed of record, uh, encroachments and so forth. I'm sorry, I misspoke. Uh, restrictions and so forth. Deliver existing- Wait, 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 wait. What's the penalty if that doesn't happen? If the seller does not deliver title commitment to the buyer 15 days prior to closing, there's a penalty. Yes, there is. And you only have so much, if there's an uh, issue concerning the title commitment, you only have so many days to cure that's in the contract. No, I'm saying- you deliver title commitment to the buyer. If you, if the seller does not deliver title commitment to the buyer within 15 days before closing, then there's an automatic five-day closing extension. That's right. And That's most right. agents don't know that because most agents don't read the contract. I always forget that. So Thank let's you. say you're getting to closing and the seller, you need an extension and the seller doesn't want to give you one. You go back and see if the seller gave you a title commitment 15 days prior to closing. And if they didn't, you got your automatic extension. Right. And you you're can rub the other buyer's nose in it. Correct. Correct. Surveys. These are items that need to be ordered up as quickly as possible. You want to get these surveys uh, within five days of effective day if possible. That, that's, no, if whoa, 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 whoa. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's not what this says. This says this is a seller's obligation. The contract says if the survey. seller has a copy of the existing title policy, right. they have to give their copy to the buyer five days after contract. Right. I just spoke too quick. Existing survey. Yes. Under buyer's obligation, they'll have the right to order their own title commitment. But this is that the seller has, if the seller has one, the seller has to share it. Same thing and with the survey. If the seller has a survey, the contract says they have to share it within five days of the effective date. So if you're a good right. agent and you know the contract's going to say this, what should you request of the seller at time of listing? Copy of the title policy and a copy of the survey. Perfect, and right? Then, and then ask, ask the seller, because mm -hmm. I jumped ahead on this. Uh, ask the seller if there's been any material changes uh, made to the property since the survey was done. 
I don't have my sellers do affidavits. I, they're not surveyors and I'm not gonna you know, tie them up like that. And if there was changes made, you let, you let them know, they let the title company know, yes, we have a survey, but there's, there's changes made. The buyer needs to go get their own survey. You can't yeah, do an so affidavit. The contract says if the seller has a copy, exactly. they have to share it. If they don't mm -hmm. have it or they can't find it, they don't have to. It's exactly. kind of stupid. I'm just pointing out what the contract says. No, you're right. I, I don't think it's, it's important, but it the is. contract says it. And these are the obligations of the seller. Now, That's the next three, I'll just take that real quick. Okay. The When we're doing our inspections and repairs, here's what has to happen. It is in all three scenarios. Buyer does the inspection. Buyer reports defects to seller. Seller has 10 days to get uh, bids for the cost to repair. That's what has to happen, yes. right? And then we evaluate if it falls within the repair limits or not. Right. So this gives the seller the obligation to get repairs. So the water heater's broken and you got to call a plumber and you got a new water heater put in. Okay. Yep. So that's a pain in the butt. As is contract, you find out the water heater's broken. Guess what? The water heater's broken. It's your right. problem. Right. Now what happens in practice, well, before this mess that we're into right now, the buyer's agent would write an as is contract, find out the water heater's broken, then ask the seller to fix it. To which I would say, jerk. I accepted your offer as is. Yep. If I had known you wanted me to put an $1,800 water heater in, I would have charged you more for the house. Exactly. So you're not obligated to do any repairs on an as is, no. but back when the buyer had power, they would request it and the seller would kind of acquiesce and do it because they didn't want to lose the buyer. Exactly. But now it's go ahead, buyer, walk. I got 15 more. Right. Right? Yep. So that's the same thing at all. Cost of repairs for warranties, uh, warranted items, wood destroying organisms, and open permits. And then the last obligation for a seller, and this is a big one for the as-is versus the regular, the seller has the obligation to close all open permits prior to closing. And if not, closing gets delayed. On the right. as-is contract, if there's open closing, open permits, the seller has to assist the buyer, you know, signing something, but they don't have to do any work. No. Right? So this is why you want to have your sellers be upfront in time of listing. Hey, you are going to get, get an inspection that's going to look for wood-destroying organisms, warranted items, and uh, permits. So you might as well check that before you put it on the market. Got a question from Mike Clayman. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, it blinked out too fast. If your neighbor is selling and there's an encroachment, is that an encumbrance on my property? It depends on whether the encroachment is. Is it on right. his property or yours? Yeah. So let's say his plant landscaping curbing curbs out around his planter beds over your property line. Then yes, that's an encroachment. Your neighbor is encroaching on your property. And that would, the seller, that should be fixed. The buyer should want that fixed before they close. Yep. And that'll come up on the survey for sure. Yeah. And you, you need a survey. That's my rule anyway. Absolutely. All right. Buyer obligations. You can do those. Sure. Line 27, make initial deposit. Buyer needs to get that deposit in within the time frame that's in the contract. Line Which is on line 27. So what I'd say there is, get familiar with your Google calendar. And then you put these dates in and then you invite your seller buyer, whoever your partner is with it. And then you put a reminder 24, 48 hours before. So these things happen. Yeah. Right? And as you go along, you can click every one of these little boxes and just boom, 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 boom. It makes it so easy. That way you don't make the mistake of putting it on a Saturday or Sunday or just same thing with, with other uh, contract items like closings. We don't want to close on a Saturday or Sunday, do we? 
Yeah, I love when it's March 31st, Sunday, and they put 31st. Oh, gosh. And we'll have 40 yeah. or 50 of those. And yeah. they automatically get extended to Monday, but still, it doesn't look very professional. No. Especially no. when you get a drop-down box to pick a date. Yeah. These forms are, are tremendous. They're, they're like your right arm. Get used to them. Making additional deposit per contract if, within 10 days if it's blank. So you just do the math over here. Yes, Boom. Yeah. Notify seller loan approval or cancellation due to financing 30 days default see line 111. So we want to make sure that that loan approval cancellation, we get that uh, notification. And if they don't notify us and everything's good to go, wonderful. There's one more clause in that paragraph that says, oh, if the buyer doesn't notify the seller within two days after the expiration of the loan approval period, the seller can cancel the buyer. That's right. That's how important that is. Yes, yes. So the seller, the buyer needs to step up and say, I got it, I'm removing my contingency, or I don't have it, I'm canceling or extending my contingency. And if they don't do one of those two things within two days after that, the seller can cancel them. So I'm not waiting for you anymore. You're not moving fast enough. And then they lose the right to buy the house in the That's contract. Right. Yep. Yep. We, we got to move. Yep. Uh, line 184 at buyer's expense, buyer may obtain survey on or before title insurance deadline. That, yep. That's on line 184. Um, Line 224, option to terminate flood insurance, if applicable, 20 days default, that's in the contract. So if you're in a, a flood zone area, you wanna keep an eye on that. Um, line 261, buyer to conduct home inspection at buyer's expense. So you got timelines on that. Line 273, provide required repairs to seller within inspection period. You may extend inspection period. Mm -hmm. Line 312 WDO inspection results to seller within the inspection period. See how that ties together? The seller buyer has to get the termite results to the seller. Right. And up in seller obligations, the seller has to get estimates during Absolutely. his time period. Yep. 333 submit permit inspections results to seller within the inspection period. Line 357, yeah. line 357 walkthrough inspection the day before or the day of closing. Uh, 462, examine title evidence five days after receipt from title company, Other may extend closing. We talked about that. Uh, line 481, advise seller of survey defects within five days after receipt of seller or surveyor if buyer ordered it. So you can't just find out there's a problem and not talk about it. You got five exactly. days. So these are clear obligations contract. of that buyer. And if they don't follow through, they, they just lose the opportunity. Yes, absolutely. That's why we really prefer this contract because it keeps the feet to the fire. Yep. And then there are potential delays because, you know, we have to be honest with people. If they're trying to get in for school dates or whatever they have, there is some stuff in this contract that could delay closing. Number one, if the CFPB uh, closing disclosure gets, has to go out three days prior to closing, if not, you're extending closing up to 10 days. Automatic right. federal government. Uh, line 58 says uh, seven days after utilities, if there's force majeure, a hurricane and powers out, if you can't close within seven days after the restoration of utilities, but not more than 30 days, that automatically extends the contract. doesn't cancel it, it extends it. Right. Um, seller can cancel within three days of loan approval. I said two, I'm sorry. Three days of loan approval expiration notice if buyer did not receive it. Big number 40, 346, up to 10 days if seller wants to close open or expired permits. So if the seller doesn't close the permits and the regular contract, you get an up to 10 day extension period to close for him to do it or her. 
And then line 463, uh, potential closing delays is five days if the seller fails to deliver the title commitment to the buyer prior to closing. And we talked about that too. Yes, we did. Right. Guys, this is like the best thing I've ever seen to teach the important parts of a contract because the contract far bar, let me tell you a story. When I started real estate in 1991, the contract was two pages with a, uh, what was that stuff called? Carbon paper between the sheets. No. Two pages. Then Farbar came out with Farbar 2, and it was four pages. And then it became Farbar 8, or Farbar 3, and it was eight pages. Now it's 13 pages. So every time Farbar has a precedent-setting case, they add language to the contract to, to address that future issue. Right. Right. So there's right. a lot of crap in there that most never happens. Like if a hurricane knocks down all the trees, are the trees included in the sale or not? You know, we don't really care about that unless what? There's a hurricane that knocks down all the trees. Correct. Right. So we don't talk about all that stuff all the time. It's there if we need it. But this is this was designed to be a basic class on what the contract is and what the obligations of the parties and what the critical dates are. So now you saw how to write a listing agreement, how to write a contract, and you found out the important steps of a contract. Right. Doesn't take away your responsibility to learn it, <laughs> to read it no, and know it very well. And practice on it, print them out, keep a file folder, uh, just like you do with your contracts and so forth as a frame of reference. So that when you're really, really busy and, and you're in the heat of the moment, you don't miss anything. That's what I like about this more than anything. You're not gonna miss a detail. You will thank him in the morning that you have these. Yep. And share it, share it with the listing agent, share it with the buyer's agent, share it with the buyer and the seller. Let them all know what their rights are. We're all, in the, once, we, once we enter a contract, we're not fighting anymore. No. Right. We're, we're opposing until we get the contract. But once you get the contract, the goal is set. It's to close. So we all got to work together to make sure it happens. So it's not like laying in the grass and wait for them to fail. No, we no. want to close this thing. Call it out. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right. It's two o'clock. We got to join Chris and I need to take a potty break because <laughs> I just drank a whole jug of water. So, Thank you everybody for being on. We enjoyed having you. That's right. Thank you. Thank you, Kat.